0: Welcome to the Edutainer podcast. My name is Erin Albert, and in this podcast, we explore the intersection of education and entertainment. Stay tuned for another great episode coming up next. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Albert, and as promised, in our doubleheader today to close out the new Normal Podcast miniseries, have a new guest to the podcast on... Her name is Edie Edens, and she works in the arena of law, compliance, and clinical research. So while we were checking on our strong friend, Katasha Butler, over in the hospital and healthcare systems, we also wanted to check in with Edie and find out what's going on in clinical research, clinical trials, and how have they been affected by COVID-19. Edie's profile is prolific and posted in the show notes if you'd like to take a look at her background. But give a listen to my conversation with Edie Edens on the New Normal podcast where we focus on clinical research. So we're here today with Edie Edens and Edie's a friend of mine. She's new to the podcast but I definitely wanted to bring her on the New Normal mini-series as we close out April and this whole series. Uh, because she has a very interesting background relative to clinical research, and that's definitely an area that has been impacted during COVID-19. So, Edie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so, so, so much. Absolute pleasure. Love to always see what you are doing, because my goodness, you have your hands on everything, and uh, definitely blessed to be in a wonderful industry that can hopefully shine right now, right, and make a really big impact on what we're going through.
0: Yeah. So Edie, since you're new to the show, why don't, why don't we start with the same question I ask all of the guests. How did you get to where you are
1: today in your own career? Absolutely. Um, a lot of, I'm not going to lie, hard work, but also a lot of blessings and serendipity along the way. I, uh, I left law school thinking I was headed to more of an international law with an emphasis in human rights. And even though I had left uh, a law school that was quite good at health law, and had a little bit of time to kill before I was headed to the JAG Corps. Had a colleague who said, I've got a nine-month contract. It's better than waiting tables. You'll be an IRB consultant. So I need some help. And I said, sounds great. What the heck is an IRB? And, and that was really it. I didn't leave the Indiana University Academic Medical Center for about a decade after that. So I got to work in all of the elements that relate to compliance and regulatory for human subject research um, and with institutional review boards and conflicts of interest, misconduct, QA, um, you name it at that large infrastructure and operational stage, I got to really learn and cut my teeth. And then about seven, seven years, maybe eight years in, uh, I then switched into IU's Comprehensive Simon Cancer Center and had the unique opportunity to be their first quality and compliance manager there. And they were running about six to 700 clinical trials that were FDA-regulated in the oncology space. So that was another deep, deep dive into the, the site version, right, of all the compliance that comes with doing research with humans and investigational drugs and devices and whatnot, and then moved into the consulting space with first-class solutions uh in 2017 and they were already in the healthcare space and information management and technology and privacy as well as uh, billing and revenue cycle and validation some of the quality uh, metrics and data analytics but had not dipped their toe fully in the water in terms of life sciences. Uh, And so I wanted to bring that to the practice as well as move into the consulting space. So it's been a ride, you know, I've gone back and gotten a couple of degrees on the way. Um, I've had a lot of really unique experiences and really my silver lining was the fact that I had come to Indianapolis, which is such an incredible life sciences city. And so I was just kind of already poised to make a move into this space, whether I, I realized and planned it or not. And I definitely wouldn't go back. Um, I love what I'm doing. Uh, and I've loved being able to, to make an impact during this time. And I really love that clinical research, I think, has this opportunity to shine and has this opportunity to be a, a bit more known by the, by the average, you know, American or the average European, right, who might not otherwise hear a lot in the mainstream media about what we do. Um, so it's been exciting. It's been a ride. And then I also get to teach. Um, I do a little bit of part-time teaching. I use McKinney School of Law and their health Law program um, as it relates to experiential learning and life sciences compliance.
0: Yes, so great background snapshot. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> now I want to unpack what's going on in clinical research. I know you've been great about posting things on LinkedIn, jobs updates on clinical trials. So can you kind of uh, tell us, share with us,
1: how COVID-19 has impacted what you do? Right, exactly. So there's two elements. There's the entire bucket that I would call COVID research itself, right? So the industry coming together, uh, pharmaceutical sponsors that are otherwise rivals actually working together to formulate a vaccine, seeing the unique and frankly very, very quick by our timelines response um, and conducting that research. So there's kind of that bucket over here, right? And then the other bucket of what you're facing right now is ongoing clinical research and trials that happen to be impacted by the fact that we're doing social distancing and shelter in place, et cetera, you know, travel restrictions with COVID, but they might not be subject matter wise like in the, in the COVID area, right? And so, um, you know, while I definitely am keeping tabs on the former in terms of what folks are doing, you know, and knowing, for example, we already have phase two and phase three trials for a vaccine. I mean, that type of progress usually takes 12 to 18 months, and we've done it in, in under four. Um, So seeing some of that come through and like you said, being able to post some of that information, share it with colleagues, frankly, share it with folks who just would like to see some calming good news and a light at the end of the tunnel right now, um, as well as these unprecedented ventures. And then, of course, the need for the jobs that that creates. Um, I'm certainly not a recruiter in my job, but I also know a lot of folks are looking right now. And so that's been an opportunity to post that. What the more interesting piece, at least for me and my piece of the pie has been, has been helping my existing clients or bringing on new clients during this to pivot with that ladder bucket I mentioned, right? So you're in the middle of maybe you're an academic medical center like IU. And so you're doing a lot of inpatient visits to learn and do the HMP, to check in with the patients on your trials, to perform an infusion, to provide them with their investigational drug supply for the month, whatever that might look like. And suddenly you're basically shut down except for extraordinarily essential use. And you're trying to protect your staff and your center. You're working with a population, like for example, the oncology population that may already be immunocompromised. So it's not a good idea for them to really be in your center either, Um, but they're in the middle of a trial. They're on an investigational drug or they're in the middle of testing an investigational device. You can't just go, hey, we'll see you in 90 days, like hang tight, Um, not only for their own safety and because there's all sorts of regulations against doing something like that, but also because maybe the patient's really responding and you don't wanna see the end to their progress, right? Um, And you're also gonna impact the long-term data integrity of the trial, it'll essentially get trashed, and and no one wants that. The money and the dollars that go into that—that's only going to lead to a spike in consumer dollars on down the line here. Um, in addition to all the other, you know, safety and patient concerns. So what do you do? Do you go to a patient's home to conduct a visit? And if you do, how do you keep everyone safe? Do you use iPads? Do they have that type of technology? Um, you know, if if you can pivot into some of these remote modalities like home healthcare. Um, you know, like maybe if they're not located locally, you have them go to a a lab core office, right, to have their blood work done and it's sent into your center instead of doing it locally. Some of these patchwork ways that we can keep things moving, well, how do you vet all those people? And what about all your standard operating procedures and regulatory approvals that you have to then reissue, rewrite, re-communicate, re-approve, right, before you can do any of this? So this quickly becomes a really, really burdensome process to pivot during this. Um, And then the other part of it is, what if you're not one of these huge academic medical centers or a really robust hospital system that has some financial, I'll say, well, limited some financial security during this time? What if you're one of these really small sites that only runs a few trials, right? Might be a startup, might be born out of a private practice, and all of your clinical research sponsors say, we wanna put a hold on any new enrollment during this time. You know, Continue taking care of obviously the patients who are on trial as needed, but don't enroll anyone new. Um, and that's a funding mechanism for your site. You could go under if you can't keep your trials going. Or maybe in order to keep your trials going and to provide remote monitoring and remote visits for safety, Now you're spending, you know, one and a half times the man hours on some of your processes, or you're having to bring in some contract employees to make this work. Well, now you got to go back to contract negotiations with your sponsor, because you're not getting paid for all that. And you're putting in all that extra, and you need that to stay afloat. So there just is this myriad of issues you're seeing as people try to pivot. Um, And I think it's really awesome. You know, you see the FDA issuing like hourly guidances practically, On things you see OCR with HIPAA coming out and same thing Um, these are not entities that usually move nearly this quick certainly not organizations that are known for relaxing regulations um, and pivoting like this it's just it's not it's not all of it right the operations behind making this work is huge Um, and there's so many questions and, and as you're doing it, you know, you're documenting, but there's no protocol for a pandemic situation in clinical research. Um, there's no emergency preparedness SOP in the world that could have handled all this. And so you're just flying by the seat of your pants and there's a lot of anxiety. And, then, you know, I think it's for all the positive silver linings, right? It's, it's this time of huge anxiety anyway. And then you topple this on it. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a best guess, best practices, cross your finger situation as you're moving through, you know, you might, you might listen to one expert who says, document it this way. And the very next webinar you're on says, oh no, no, document it this way. Cause we don't have enough data, right? We don't have enough time to know if this is the right way to do things. Um, so that's, that's really it. That's what I'm seeing sites go through. Um, obviously there's a huge pivot for, those organizations that haven't had any type of remote work previously mm-hmm. and aren't set up like from a technology standpoint to, to handle that, um, that's a huge hurdle for folks. Um, and, and I feel for them because it is a switch. Uh, <clears throat> but, but that's not the biggest. The, the, the piece I was talking about earlier is really the biggest.
0: So obviously there's a lot of work for you to do <laughs> yeah. in that. To yeah. not un- unpack all of that. But oh, yeah. let's zoom down to Edie as a person. How has your life changed in the wake of COVID 19? And, you know, I had other guests on the show, Katasha Butler, most recently. She's part of Eskenazi. And she was mm-hmm. talking about how, how that she works from home now. She feels like she needs to be in front of the laptop 24 7 to keep yep. up with everything. Are you experiencing that as well? And how have you adapted?
1: So, I'll tell you, I already worked remotely uh, a good 50 to 60% of the time. So, this wasn't as big of a pivot from that mindset. The pivot for me has been. Uh, trying to, you know, share a home office with your partner and juggle a toddler, right? Because I definitely wasn't working remotely with all of that in mind. And so while I haven't experienced, or I've kind of already balanced out in my remote work life, what she was talking about in terms of feeling that need to be constantly <clears throat> in the office at the laptop, I will say the supportive childcare I do get in my family and my network, um, is very date specific. So I know I always have childcare Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? Those are my set days. And on those days, I feel an inordinate amount of pressure. Um, It's really not because of my firm. It's really not even because of my heightened client needs. It's because I know, man, these are the three days that I can just work, right? I could work 18 hours if I had to, and there's no one who's going to get upset with me about that. There's no one who needs me away from the computer, um, and it's interesting because I've had to ease off and really start setting some boundaries and some limits, kind of like I did when I initially began working remotely more, um, because it is there is a higher risk for burnout there, right? Um, and, and you know that that need is heightened, and you know your clients need you, and you know that it really is time sensitive. Um, but it really goes back to that principle of, you know put your mask on first before you try to assist others. If you are not taking care of yourself, if you are not, uh, employing some of the, what I would call kind of remote work EQ, uh, then you're, you're not going to be successful. And it wouldn't honestly matter if it was a COVID time or not. I mean, I think there's just some personal standards as much as we kind of joke and laugh about, you know, I'm proud of myself. I, I took a shower and I didn't wear my pajamas today. Ha ha ha! Like there, there's some reality to that, right? Like there's, I mean, this has been a really big switch for, uh, my husband. He works he's, he never works remotely. There is no remote work for him, right? So this has been a huge pivot in his work life to be doing it this way. And it's very difficult for him because technology-wise, it's actually quite difficult um, for him to work from home. And so there's been some really frustrating moments. And I would say, you know, for me, it was a blessing that I already had been doing this remotely for a few years, because as soon as I could see him hitting some of those same walls, I was right. Or as soon as I started to pick up and detect that I was overworking on these specific days when I had coverage, I was actually probably, uh, not probably, really quicker to respond and go, no, that's not going to work. We have to make a change. Then I would have been five years ago when I wasn't working remotely, right? That would have taken me six months to bang my head against that wall and go, oh, maybe I should do this a different way. Uh, Whereas now, you know, we implemented at the end of every day, we take a walk, right? It may be literally around the block and, you know, we're running because it's really not that pleasant out, but we're going to see nature once a day, right? We're going to put on a fresh, you know, set of clothes in the morning. We're going to have meal times. We're going to setting some just boundaries that are right for your life and your situation that you adhere to. And it can be really small pieces, but man, you got to hold tight on that because no one's going to, No one's going to protect you the way that you can protect you and your clients need you right now. And, and you have to let them know what you can give and you have to be honest. I mean, it is really hard for me to say to a client, I'm sorry, I cannot get to that until this weekend. But if that's the honest truth, I need to be honest with them. And I think there's been, I don't know about you, I've seen a great relaxation in terms of, you know, on the, on the unfortunate times where I have to take a client call and my two-year-old is in front of me screaming, you know, people are pretty darn understanding right now. Um, it's almost become like a game, right? Like, oh, look, my kid wants to come into my Zoom meeting now. And there's something that's not so uh, incredibly unprofessional about it now because everyone understands we're in a unique situation. The other thing I've done and I really encourage people to do as they're able obviously is pivot your work time. So for me having that Tuesday Wednesday Thursday is great. My my partner and I can definitely work, you know, both work during that time, but he does not have the flexibility to set his hours and I do, right? I mean my clients need to be able to get a hold of me on a Monday or a Friday. But if I do the majority of the work that I'm going to do behind the scenes and send it to them on Saturday or on Sunday instead, and, and I've warned them and communicated with them up front about that, they're not really going to be upset as long as I'm meeting their timelines. So we've definitely pivoted around here to Monday and Friday are my weekend, and I'm happy to you know bear the burden of, of the child care and household needs, et cetera. And then Saturday and Sunday are my Monday, Friday right? And my husband instead is going to flip with me. Um, so just don't be afraid to, to try some new and different stuff like that. You'd be shocked how understanding, honestly, people are being right now. I, I don't know if that's what you found, Aaron, um, or if that's what your other folks have said, but I, I found it to be relatively true. I mean, obviously, if you're a nurse, you know, you're a physician in the middle of an ED, I mean, there's only so much flexibility your job allows you, and that is what it is. Um, but for those of us who have some wiggle room, Uh, use it. Don't be afraid, right? I I had to remind myself when we pivoted to the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Friday schedule, like this is why you moved away from in-house. You wanted to have flexibility when you needed it. And frankly, you need it right now. So use it.
0: Yeah. I was on a CLE today, as a matter of fact, in the moderators. One of her children was basically photo bombing her in the background it was hilarious
1: <laughs> oh my god did you see there was I, I am so happy to share this with you and and you're welcome to share it with the audience there was actually i'll have to look up exactly which senator it was but it was a senator who posted on twitter pretty early into all of this that she had been on a very high level administration call Um, with, you know, folks who had at one time or another been presidential candidates on the line, she thought she was muted and said something like, you know, make sure and wipe your tushy, you know, or like make, make sure and wash your hands after you go potty, mommy will be done in a minute. She was not on mute, not on mute. And that went out to the entire administration on her call. And I just thought the authenticity of sharing it was so fresh and so awesome. You know, the fact that she just owned like, wow, that just happened work from home fail. Hello. Yeah. It, it, it was like one of the best memes, you know, and or screenshots I've seen circulated yet. And I shared it with everyone I could think of because I'm like, you know, if we can't have a little bit of grace during this time, my goodness. Um, you know what, then why are, why are we in this society thing together to begin with?
0: Right. Yeah. I'd love the human element, the authenticity, the fact that people have pets and they have children and you get to see them. Whereas uh-huh. if we all go to a building at a, at a job every day, you don't see any of that uh, oh, yeah. of
1: colleagues or right? that people are doing like, I know, you know my firm's doing it. I'm part of the speakeasy here in Indy. That's a really phenomenal uh, entrepreneurial kind of co-op workspace. And, and to keep up morale, people are doing, you know, whether it's a virtual happy hour or an intentional bring your kids Zoom. I think tomorrow my firm is actually doing a face paint contest. So everyone pops on the Zoom at the same time with different face paint and you're encouraged to bring animals and, and other family members. And then we're going to have, you know, a raffle prize for whoever has the best face paint of the day. Um, so just some of the fun stuff. We wouldn't do that otherwise. There's no way we would make time for it. My goodness. Um, and so to connect in these various ways and see that shockingly people are in fact human, uh, and, and are more than their email. Right. You know, um, I think that that's, that's a really incredible, um, moment if we can take notice of it and not let that get lost in all of the other anxiety and uncertainty and frustration.
0: So I definitely wanted to ask you as well, kind of pivoting a little bit more in the educational realm. I don't think I've had anybody on from the law point of view. We've talked yeah. about pharmacy schools, but what's going on at the law schools relative to the oh, lockdowns? And- it's
1: tough, right? So basically, the students, um, at, and I mean, I can speak for IU, of course, where I teach, but this is pretty relatively standard issue across the nation at all your major law schools. Most students went on spring break or some extended version of spring break and then came back to complete remote teaching. Uh, And it's, you know, there's good and there's bad here. Uh, For me, my particular program, we are lovers of technology and Zoom, so we have been utilizing some of these modalities as necessary, especially given that I'm adjunct and I do have to travel for work. So sometimes I've had to conduct a class or attend a class by Zoom. So my particular student population wasn't negatively impacted as much by that. But I will say, you know, that's not true right, at every program and every school, even within McKinney, right? Um, and there's a lot of professors who suddenly had to spend that, that extended spring break pivoting all of their information and learning the technology. That's huge, um, that's, a, that's a massive mid-semester pivot Uh, From the educators point of view and you had a lot of students who who weren't familiar or didn't already use this Um, And I know I have in some of my classes international students who may not have uh, technology or um, You know video chat available. I had for example presentations as a, a significant component of the grade in one of my courses, so we had to do presentations on zoom um you know you're doing classes on zoom you definitely have heard some horror stories about folks getting zoom bombed uh as they're working through this lots of glitches like you were saying lots of pets lots of uh roommates lots of you know snafus and i will say i mean absolute tip of the hat to mckinney in the sense of they have provided extensive resources you know they did the best they could to get you from spring break to finals which the reality is that's actually not very many weeks like three maybe four in law school Um, so they really did patchwork response over spring break to kind of get you to finals and then immediately recognizing that summer was going to go remote implemented training courses resources drop boxes I mean anything you need to create your summer course in the remote style using whatever technology you need at the university um, with all the instruction resources you could ask for given that this might be new to you, right? And you might have have learned a few things. And the communication strategy has been incredible. You know, talking to the students during this time from the administration at the schools, explaining to them what to expect, how to pivot, um, and then same of course to faculty. So we've been really lucky. I do not envy the folks at the IT department uh, that have had to help everyone pivot through this time. Um, I know at IU we have only said you know we're going to be considering remote teaching obviously for the summer but until until further notice we haven't officially said fall we just haven't officially not said fall some major law schools have already called off fall in terms of that Um, some to dive down a little bit some of the things that have been interesting so this particular semester uh, almost all law schools pivoted to pass fail grades for the end of the semester since it it uprooted the students mid-semester and there's part of that I'm so on board with because admittedly there's some subject matter that was covered after spring break for my students that I didn't wanna test them on. I didn't think it was fair, um, even though I felt like I gave them a really good lecture on Zoom still. It, it was an anxiety ridden time. They were scattered in terms of focus. You know, I felt bad about it. Um, but I, I, at the, on the one hand, I wanna be so nice to the students and accommodating. On the other hand, I definitely know some students who are busting their little butts to make some darn good grades. semester and they're actually a little upset about that right and then you have of course the fact that commencement isn't going to happen so you've you've killed yourself to get this incredible degree and you don't even get to walk across a stage that's a blow um given that a lot of the students i work with are in their at least second if not third year that's a big deal and of course now they don't know if they'll be able to sit for the bar exam because you're not necessarily going to be able to get together for bar prep because of the distancing needs and the remote needs. And even if you could pivot that course and training to remote, how are you going to sit for the actual bar exam itself, right? That's hundreds of people in the same room. Um, so there's just so many questions and there's the students are really nervous about the ones who are graduating about what does this do to my career trajectory, right? I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything I was supposed to do, but I can't, you know, take the bar on time which means i can't take that job offer or maybe they're you know they're working in a small firm that's now contemplating not um taking them on as an associate because of changes in business patterns and the economy Um, and it's palpable you you feel it you know you definitely see students who are um kind of kind of losing it over something that you just know they wouldn't normally be that upset over right Um, and so we're just all trying to to meet their needs and i've just made a really big point with my students you know every class, every interaction, we spend a good five minutes at the beginning of how are you? Are you doing okay? You know, you know that we're here for you. If there's something you need, this is getting stressful for you. If you're getting to a space that's not healthy, let's talk about it. Let's get you the resources you need. Because I feel like this time can really create mental health issues in folks that maybe otherwise haven't experienced it right. And so they might shrug it off or think it's just the stress, and then it gets it gets to be too much. Definitely. Um, and, and And the law school, I've been really proud that the law school has just, you know, this is otherwise something that is somewhat stigmatized still, unfortunately, especially in the legal world. And the law school has made no bones about being like, you better be checking in with your students. And even if someone hasn't expressed something to you, if you have a concern, if you think there's someone we need to be worried about, you better be identifying them to us. We're taking care of them. So it's an interesting time in that regard. I feel bad because, I mean, like, again, it goes back to that idea of the students didn't do anything wrong, right? Um, I think they can still learn a lot during this time. I think classes can proceed. I don't think the quality of the education really truly has to be impacted I will say externships since I'm in experiential learning, that's been a big one because the students can't go on site to have their experience this summer or mid semester in the spring, they had to pivot to working remotely. And so it's not like they can't put it on their transcript and their resume or check off a box that they did it, but it's not the same. It's not, it's just not. And some organizations that would otherwise take externs for me in the summer since that's such a big semester to do it have said you know we're just too swamped with covid response we can't take anyone right now so that's been tough That's been yeah. really tough i hate i hate not having opportunities for my students well last minute
0: last question edie can you share with us maybe one silver lining you think is coming out of covid within your world and your sphere of expertise and then last can you share how people can connect to you in meaningful ways for you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Erin. I'm glad you asked. So huge silver lining in clinical research is we were on the cusp of really moving toward decentralized and or virtual trials, right? That don't follow such an antiquated um, model of having to have all your visits inpatient at one center. And I think that in the next five to seven years, even without COVID, we would have seen a huge push, huge um, and I can't wait to see it because, my goodness, it's 2020. And given we're in clinical research, we do not use technology um, in our actual day-to-day operations the way we could, given the incredible healthcare innovations we're obviously working on, right? So what's happened is, instead of your timeline being five years, seven years, or if you're a huge AMC, even like 10 years before you would be considering some of these models and whatnot, um, then then we're, we're fast-forwarded. And it's happening right darn now. And so my hope is that's going to stick, right, when we get to the other side, um, 100%. Um, So that's my hope. That's my silver lining for that. For me, you're welcome to connect with me. Firstclasssolutions, plural.com, is uh, firstclasssolutions.com is the website. My email is my first name, E-D-Y-E, period, E-D-E-N-S, at firstclasssolutions.com. And you're also welcome to stalk me on LinkedIn. Um, it's where I have the greatest social media presence. I'm clearly connected to Aaron there. Uh, and so you should be able to find me no problem there as well. And I just appreciate the time. Uh, that, that You know, let me come on here and chat you out. Thank you, Edie Edens.
0: We really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Erin. So good to connect. So good to talk. Everyone stay safe. Um, and definitely most of all, stay calm out there. Well, that's a wrap. The entire New
0: Normal mini series is officially in the can. I guess I don't know if that's a, a term you use in podcasting or not. But this is Erin Albert. It's been a true honor to bring you the amazing guests that I've been so fortunate during this crazy time to have as part of this New Normal podcast mini series. Huge thanks to the following. Amy Stark, Chad Priest, Andrea Bloom, Ashley Clevins Hayes, Lucinda Main, Sally Helgeson, Tim Ongst, Tyrone Squires, Alan Spees, Mark Garofoli, Kevin Hope, Elaine Voci, and of course, Katasha Butler and Edie Edens. Thank you, one and all. I know you are all very, very busy. We have all had to make dramatic pivots during this difficult and challenging time for our country with COVID-19. And to take the time out to share with us how each of these folks have been coping, managing, uh, and continuing to deliver on products and services that they are passionate about has truly been an amazing honor and privilege to bring to all of you. I hope you found one key element, if not more than one, from one key guest, if not more than one, helpful as we all kind of work our way back to whatever the new normal will be. I suspect it will not be the old normal. If you found anything helpful, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Aaron L. Albert. You can find me at Instagram at Aaron Albert. I'm on LinkedIn. And of course, you can find me at ErinAlbert.com. Thank you one and all for listening. If you have ideas on shows for the month of May, I haven't figured out what my theme or mini-series might be yet. I'm working on that mentally. But if you have ideas, please send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear from you on how you're coping uh, throughout this uh, dramatic change that we have going on in our country right now and around the world. Take care until next time. Socially distance. I hope you have your masks. Wash your hands and stay safe out there. And I'll be back. Take care thanks for listening to another episode of the edutainer i'm aaron albert you can follow us over at facebook we have a separate page now for the edutainer at twitter you can follow me at aaron l albert of course i'm on instagram at aaron albert and of course online at linkedin and aaronalbert.com Thank you so much. I hope wherever you are, you are staying safe, staying well, and until next time, take care.